Hello and welcome back to the Football Roundup, Energy Sports' longest-running football show. My name is Jack Donnelly and on today's show we look back at the weekend of Scottish Premiership action where Celtic dropped yet more points, a Premier League weekend that continued the season's pattern of unexpected results and look ahead to the standout fixtures in this weekend's or this week's, rather, uh, European Games. I'm joined by Stuart Garvey and Sean McGill. I'm not going to ask you how you are doing or mention anything about no. Flatpak 3s because it's the third time we've tried this. <laughs> and we're doing it on Zoom instead of, <laughs> instead of clean feed because Sean's, Sean's audio was messing up. And we've only got 40 minutes. So uh, I reckon we skipped a big question because it was a shite one anyway. <laughs> we, just get, <laughs> we just get rattled in. Uh, we'll start by chewing the football as we normally do. For if it, uh, Whoever didn't listen last week, that's what we're calling this section now about Scottish football. Uh, this weekend's Premiership action saw league champion Celtic drop points for the third time this week uh, and saw them endure the third negative result in just over a week. Uh, after suffering two losses to Rangers and AC Milan across uh, before, sun- before Sunday's game, they drew three all away at Pataudry. Struan, at what point do you reckon Neil Lennon should be looking his- over his shoulder in fear of Peter Lawl stand behind him with a P45 in hand? I think he's got one more game. I one think more it is game. just one more because with uh, with the delayed fixtures with the Scottish Cup, Rangers can potentially go nine clear. Is it nine if they win theirs? I think it's nine. Pass. Um, Which pass. is <laughs> aye. Even... They're six and out, and plus three is nine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I th- I think that that points margin, even with the, the two games in hand, the tough games coming up again away at Petardry and Hibs coming up. So I think I think this this will be his last game. I think Lille's not. I wouldn't include Lille in that at the moment. I think that's take what you can from that sort of game but I think the next Scottish Premiership fixture will be massive and I suppose the Scottish Cup game as well is probably going to be quite heavily weighed in that as well I'd say you're right with that uh, Sean it's been a nightmare week for uh, Celtic defender Shane Duffy a man who a number of us actually gave praise to when he first joined his boyhood club is it just a bad spell or is he genuinely just quite bad at football Hard to tell, is it? Because he <laughs> has got a lot of experience in Premier League pedigree, but he has been absolutely hoaching these first few weeks. <laughs> um, I do actually, to be fair, he came in and looked all right, scored a few goals and stuff, but uh, aye, it's been a, a horrendous week. He gets absolutely sent for Aberdeen second, and he's clearly not comfortable on the ball. Um, he's clearly not got the pace to deal with uh, fast strikers or wingers in behind, so um, just... It turns out that just being a Celtic man isn't, isn't good enough sometimes. And that's a, a shame for Shane Duffy, but it's pretty enough <laughs> to watch for the, the past week or so. Well, it has been, to be fair. I mean, you came in, came in at this one and he joined the club and we were thinking, oh, that might actually add some defensive stability because Chris Julian hasn't looked up to scratch. He's looked like mm-hmm. uh, Willie McIntosh, a wee bit nervous <laughs> coming in to play for Celtic. But Duffy's not done anything to put the, put the faith back into a solid Celtic bat line, so... A bad move when you look at it, considering the fee or the uh, the loan fee and the fact they're paying wages. all his wages as well. Aye, it's a lot of money for a, a player who isn't performing as of yet. And he really was meant to be that defensive rock that pushed Celtic on to 10 in a row. And it looks like he's going to be a, a bigger detriment to that than a help. Uh, we'll look over at Aberdeen quickly. Uh, Struan, I want to speak to you about Ross McCrory because I know how much you're gutted you missed out on signing him. Uh, I mean, he's continuing to make a lot of waves with performances getting put in, but he was getting played out of position, and out of his natural position, playing a uh, right wing back for Dent McInnes on Sunday. Uh, what do you reckon? Should should he be playing midfield week in week out, or is there something to gain from him being deployed as a as a fullback? 
See, from a, a very selfish Scottish point of view, the fact that for the national team, the right-back position is so bare and weak, mm. I'm very happy for a talented player to be playing in that position. Probably for him himself, he should be playing more centrally because that's, that's where his best he can influence the game. But he's very versatile. I mean, I, I always used to think he was a really good centre-half as well when, I first, when he first sort of came mm. about. But he's just one of them where if you can sort of play anywhere, he can do a shift, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I'm sure he's the type of guy to basically be played wherever he's told, as long as he's getting the game time. So do you think he could be Scotland's starting right back for years to come then if he keeps playing where he's playing? I think I could be Scotland's starting right back at the moment, to be perfectly honest. You were a left back. if you heard about the three at the back, I was a left back. But <laughs> I do think he could be. I think he'll be in the Scotland team very soon, especially if he actually was called up right at the end of the mm. last one. But I think he'll be a matter of time before he's in the team permanently. Yeah, no, I can agree. But it'll be a tough one to call because there's that many good central midfielders in that Scotland squad anyway so I think he might end up having to come in and deputise for Stephen O'Donnell because we're all such big fans of his in a Scotland shirt I'm sure uh, Struan I'm not going to uh, I'm actually going to move on to another big game that we had here at Energy Sport it was a bit of a derby an Energy Sport derby one of two this weekend and one of two that Struan Garvey was involved in uh, <laughs> both, both of you saw your teams in action against each other uh, Hibs ran out as 1-0 winners away at Rugby Park, home of Kilmarnock. Sean, I wanted to bring up uh, Clevy Decamona with you. I'm, I just wanted to see your feelings on him because he did give away the penalty that led to the only goal of the game. Back from Give away the penalty is a lovely way to put it, Jack. <laughs> well, I, diplomatic, Sean, that's what it is. But then Fucking rubbish is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, what, didn't think it was. Didn't think it was a penalty at all. Then did you? I didn't think that was a penalty. No, um, <laughs> it was outside the box. It was there was very minimal contact, if any. Chris Dodge takes about eight more steps before going. Do you know what? I might go down here. Um, Aye, <laughs> it's clumsy from Dickamore. He, he shouldn't let the ball bounce. He had no idea where Dodge was, where the ball was. Really, he was um, sort of reminiscent of some of his. Uh, Less good performances for Hearts, but mm-hmm. it's not a penalty. And the fact that that was the only goal in the game against a team that, if Kelly had got something from that game, you can kind of maybe think that you could start clawing away at that deficit. But uh, 10 points now, it looks like that top four really is set in stone now. So. I did it, but he did actually go down and had to get stretched off after a challenge on the big uh, Alex Grogic. I mean, is he going to be a big miss for Kilmarnock? I mean, I saw him at a couple of points last season. I've seen him at a couple of points. I, see, I, I don't think he's that bad a player. I think he's a solid option for a centre-half, but I don't know if that's uh, when, a when shared you see him, though, was it Was it big games? Was it Edinburgh derbies? Was it... Like, the, 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 I, saw, I saw him in the... The last time I saw him like, playing the flesh, anyway, was the 3-1 at Easter Road. Mm, I see. He, that's what a lot of my heart supporting pals said to me when he signed that. They love him because he got up for these big games. He loves the club. He gives 100%. And that, from what I've seen of him at Kelly, that's the case. He does care a lot. But I just think he lacks a bit of natural ability at times. <laughs> um, he only came into the team because Stuart Finlay was injured. Finlay and Broadfoot are a very established mm-hmm. uh, centre-back pairing. Um, Finlay's not really been his best this season. Uh, Kirk Broadfoot's getting on a bit. So maybe not as good as they were previously. But that'd be your starting centre-back pairing anyway. So it's... A shame in terms of depth, but not too bad in terms of the starting eleven. Uh, soon we'll take a look at your boys, uh, Herbs. They were the winners in this game. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to make your head explode here. I'm not. I'm not going to put you 
put you into a land of dreams, but they're sat two points off second, and with Celtic's consistency waning, could there potentially be a chance that Jack Ross's side split the old firm? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one whether Jack Ross will even be managing an old firm as mm. well come at some point is quite a worry but I, I think it's, been a, it's a, been a really good season so far I think Aberdeen are still to watch I, I think it's maybe a bit too early to take them out I think Aberdeen Hibs will be a fantastic game almost in the sense that you talk about an old firm is going to decide you know, who takes the title I think the Aberdeen and Hibs games could possibly decide who gets third or second depending on how long Neil Lennon keeps the job for mm. to be fair but I think it will be I think it will be a good end to the season. Another clean sheet. I'm, I'm going to keep pointing that out every time Hibs are mentioned. If of course you are. Clean sheet, yeah. just in recent times, it's seldom. It's it's fantastic to have them back again. Uh, you mentioned them there, Jack Ross, potentially managing an old firm. Uh, a lot of people are predicting them to go out, go and manage Celtic potentially at the end of the season, but with Celtic potentially looking to replace them, replace Lennon earlier than planned. Is there any risk of uh, Ross moving away mid-season and going down to Glasgow, or do you think he's at Hibs until at least the end of the season? I'd, I'd say I'd say he'd stay at least the end of the season. I think he's quite a respectful man and appreciates the job he's in. But I, I do think that Celtic job will be very tempting. I think for any coach in Scottish football, if Celtic or Rangers become available, it's it's quite hard to turn them down, even if you are at one of the top clubs. I mean, if you, if you offer Derek McInnes the, the Rangers job tomorrow, I think he'd probably take it. Uh, we'll move on and we'll talk about uh, the other game on Sunday, which saw Rangers extend their unbeaten start to the season with a 2-0 win at home to Livingston, which saw Jermaine Defoe scoring, scoring his 300th goal at club level. Uh, Struan, with uh, such a depth of attacking talent, including, of course, strikers that can score from the halfway line, uh, it's becoming a lot more difficult to see anyone shutting Rangers out, isn't it? Yeah, they're absolutely fantastic going forward. As you said, the depth that they have. They've been quite... I think Defoe had a bad injury, but he's come back now. They're just, it's just a scary team. Do you know when you see a team, you're coming up at the weekend and you think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm getting worried. And I think, I think Rangers have that fear factor. I really do. I think their front three, the options that they can have, even deeper into midfield, I think there's goals from all over the pitch in that team as well. It's I mean, In the old firm, Connor Goldston scored two of them. Mm-hmm. We know Tavenier pitches in with a lot of goals, and even Barisic contributes to a few free kicks. So I think... I think one of the biggest worries about that team is that goals literally can come from anywhere. And I, th- I think that's one of the signs of a good team. I mean, if you compare it to Liverpool, who won the league last season, they'll find that he can't come, contributes with a lot of different goals, midfield, Alexander-Arnold. I think Rangers are quite similar in that sense. No, I can, I can definitely see that. I mean, I, I don't know how well, <laughs> how, uh, well that comparison between Van Dijk and Conor Goldson is going to go, but uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Taylor will appreciate that one, if, if anything. Uh, Sean, I'm not sure that Amy Canavan is going to be happy with what I'm about to say, but the more that I see Rangers play and the more that I see the results that we're getting, the more that I think this really could be their year. I'm the same. What, what do we reckon? And, I, I mean, you just look at Celtic and they're uninspiring. Um, they managed to get three goals on uh, Sunday, but before that, it was it was dire to watch. Just mm. they're really they're they're doing they're having problems at Rangers. They've been struggling to break teams down. There's not enough creative spark, and Rangers just I've got this uh, really good habit of ending games early. Sixteen minutes, two 0 up. Are Livy going to score three two at Ibrox? No. So yeah. you're fine. Like that's you have killed the game off, and they can just sort of be in cruise control and save energy for European games coming up and. Uh, more league fixtures so it's just and it was a point made by a lot of people that 
Um, Celtic had been winning, but they hadn't really had any of these really tough fixtures yet. And now they are hitting to hit, starting to hit this tougher in the Premiership fixtures, mm-hmm. and they're dropping points. So Rangers have had the hard away games. They go to Rugby Park on Sunday where they've struggled a lot under mm, Stephen yeah. Gerrard. I think it's just the one win in his reign in the league, certainly. Um, so that'll be another test of them. If they can get past that place where they really have struggled over the past few years, um, it'll just be another sign that very much could be their year. It's how to make a champion is making sure you can get a result away at Rugby Park. It's a tough one. Celtic <laughs> didn't. Celtic didn't. You're right enough. Uh, just taking a quick look down in the championship uh, just before we move on. Hearts got their second win of the season and a 1-0 win away at Arbroath. But it was a bit of a bittersweet win uh, as for Robin Wilson's men because they lost Josh Ginnelly to uh, injury just after nine minutes, I believe. Craig White came on, he scored the winner. But Jamie McIntosh called this as a big miss on the night. But if he's out for an extended period of time, how do we reckon he his loss will impact that Hearts team in the next few games? It's been said about Hearts loads of times that the massive thing that was missing last year was width. They had no presence out on the flanks. And uh, Ginelli's done a lot to sort of uh, fix that issue. And he'll be a big player on Saturday in an Edinburgh derby at Hamden, the Scottish Cup semi-final, which I think a lot of people are really looking forward to. Um, Hibs have always had a bigger run at um, sort of getting up to fitness. This one will be Hearts fifth competitive game back if you include the Betfair Cup game so um, having your strongest 11 definitely would have been uh, really important for, for Hearts especially considering that sort of difference in match fitness so uh, I think Robbie Nielsen will be a bit worried about that one but they've recruited fairly well so mm-hmm. they may have some, some backup options And just one final point about the Championship uh, I, I, I don't know if Sean was expecting me to mention this but um, I'll, I'll always find a way to get air involved somehow Where's that handshake emoji? Handshake emoji. AR signed a striker on loan from Kilmarnock, Ennis Cameron, a uh, twenty-year-old, year below me at school, uh, back in back in my Troon days. Uh, and I, I, to be honest, I know it might seem a bit, you know, I'm saying it just because he's gone and scored a goal in the championship. But I always did say to my pals, um, my Kilmarnock supporting pals, anyway, that I thought he'd be a really good fit for the championship. Because he's big, he's physical, and he's also quite quick, and he's got a good finish on him. We saw that at Stranraer. So I think him coming to air, he scored with his first touch of the ball after coming on just after about 50 minute, 58 minute, I think he scored the goal uh, in a one all draw. And to be honest, I'm happy with that result because air have not won away in Inverness for 17 years, I believe. It's just a very, it's a bogey ground by far. The fact we just cannot get a result, but. Sean, as a, as a Kelly fan, that's a great. How do you feel about that? The the whole transaction of Ennis coming to coming to air. I don't know. Is <laughs> a, <laughs> I was saying to you that it feels a bit Inverness Ross County, doesn't it? I, um, I mean, he's going to get game time, like you said. Did a a cracking spell at Stranraer in League One a few seasons ago, um, so, and it's good for him to get minutes. It's close. He doesn't have to travel too far. And it's just kind of a, another indication of who the big team are. So, as long as it goes, goes and gets minutes, I don't mind. See, that, no, but is, is it the big team? I mean, he could have stayed and fought for his chance against uh, Mickey Cavamba, or he could have guaranteed himself first team football by coming to air. I mean, Mr. So a division much. to guarantee game time. Yeah, I think that does tell us who the big team are. <laughs> Should any ah. rivalry be loaning players between each other? 
the Chelsea Fulham bluff this cheap one this season is probably the. But that's that, that's that the thing, problem? Chelsea are the rivalry. Well, Chelsea are the big team and Fulham are the wee team, and that's just sort of another indicator there. Blue and white, red, uh, black and white. So, yeah, <laughs> the parallels are all there. So, what, you're going to become a Fulham fan now? Oh, no, wait, I, no, wait, in that equation, I'd be the Fulham. I'm definitely going to be a Chelsea fan. <laughs> don't no, we, don't, we don't need another one of us on, on this, on this uh, network, man, honestly. Uh, right, with that, we'll move down and have, get some uh, decent uh, Premier League chat on the go. Struan, you saw your game of the week uh, produce some absolute scenes on Friday night as Leeds ended Aston Villa's 100% start to the season with a 3-0 win away at Villa Park. What did you make of, of this game as a whole, apart from the fact that it made Taylor Murray look like an absolute idiot? Um, Patrick Bamford's quite a good striker, isn't he? I, I, to be <laughs> honest, at the start of the season, I, don't, I wouldn't have expected him to even... Score five. He could, I, th- I think, maybe like a team of Pukit, like he'd maybe start quite well and then he would just drop for the rest of the mm-hmm. season. But I think it's a good game. It's one of them that just shows, you know, how, how strange this season is going to be. You know, Leeds have beaten Aston Villa 3 0, Aston Villa beat Liverpool 7 2, Liverpool beat Leeds 4 3. It's just, mm-hmm. a, a, there's just no sort of form or consistency or anything at the moment, which is going to be great. And I've, I've said a few times, I think Leeds are such an enjoyable team to watch at the moment under Bielsa. I think it's really enjoyable. Oh, definitely. Uh, so on this result, it just Struan said it just proves the complete unpredictability of this season as a whole. Uh, I suppose not so much relating to this game, but this league as a whole. Are there any big predictions that you would want to go on record to make just now about how this season could go? Any surprising takes that you might have? I don't know. Um, I, I, I've just got this feeling that it's sort of going to all end up being quite Normal. I feel like the top yeah, six could probably be the top six. I I don't know. I just um, I feel like it might balance itself out over the the course of the season. I'm trying to think of a, a particular team that I think could push into that. Leicester have had good results so far. Uh, they were obviously there last year. I really like Southampton beating um, Everton yesterday mm. on oh, I think it's the the year anniversary of their their nine 0 defeat to Leicester that they lost was. being nine 0 re- <laughs> defeat. Um, and then I was hearing somebody say on a podcast that um, since the 6-1, 6-1, 6-2, what was that score against Spurs? <laughs> five, uh, the 5-2, I just said that I. 5-2, I got it third time. <laughs> uh, since that, they've been on a cracking on the form as well. So basically, what's that need to do if they're ever struggling? Get absolutely pumped and then we'll go yeah. and them. Reactionary, yeah, I suppose. That's what they are. It's, it's quite impressive to see how far Southampton have come in a year, in the space of a year since that. Godforsaken 9 0, that I'm sure any Southampton fan would attack you for even bringing up because it gets rattled on a bit that much. But the one thing I took away from that point that Sean made is that he listens to other podcasts other than energy sport ones, and I'm not happy about it. Not happy about it. If it's, but if it's the athletic, that's fine though, because they're our pals. They're our pals, yeah, I will we'll support them. We can support them. Yeah. We'll support them, we'll prop those guys up. <laughs> Because <laughs> they definitely need the platform, don't they? They need that. We should retweet them a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> just everything, that, everything that the boys tweet just gets on the official twi- on our Twitter account anyway. Just clog the feed, make people realise it. Because that's all we're about. We're about we're about uh, sharing the love, sharing experiences, and Absolutely. all being pals in sport. Uh, Saturday night saw yet yeah, another en- energy sport derby. Uh, another student was involved in as. His United hosted my Chelsea at Old Trafford to play out a thoroughly underwhelming 0-0 draw. I said on Twitter at half-time, or just before the second half kicked off, 
the most entertaining part of that coverage was Patrice Evra's pronunciation of Hulk Hogan. What did he say? Please do your impression of Patrice Evra. He was talking about the uh, Maguire challenge that I'll get onto in a minute. And he referenced Hulk Hogan, he called him Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Because Jimmy Floyd Hasselbeck just cracked up. <laughs> it's so good. That's class. And the second half proved that that was easily the most entertaining part of that night. Struan, what did you make of this game as a whole from a United standpoint? I thought it was absolutely dreadful. I, th- I just... <laughs> I just... I thought this was going to be a really decent game, but then I, I just sort of saw the lineups and I saw that United had reverted back to the, the team against Newcastle not rewarding more the, the players from PSG. And then Chelsea had set up quite defensively and I just thought this is going to be a one or, one or goal will decide it. And I, th- I, think, I don't think either manager, I think they were too scared to lose. I think both managers mm-hmm. were too afraid to, to go all out in the, to make that sub to change up the system. I think it almost by about, Probably by about the tenth minute, I think they would have probably just said, "Yeah, take a take a point each." Yeah, and I, and I think that's really, I think that's really how the game went. I thought it was a really, a really boring game to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think the highlight for me personally was when Cavani nearly scored with his first touch of the ball. That was, that was about it really. And I, I've liked Marcus Rashford. I think I think the entire country would have wanted him to to have scored a goal, but it is what it is. <laughs> it's what it is. I was just about to get onto Rashford, so you segued that quite nicely. Uh, I was another uh, call for a bit of VAR controversy, and I know we don't like talking about it because we just keep going on about it, and it's just not going to be an end in sight. But I did, I did want to raise this one just because there was two incidents that happened quite quickly back to back. National hero and Prime Minister contender Marcus Rashford, he had a VAR check on him for a foul from Tiago, for a foul. I'll say in air quotes from Thiago Silva. Uh, in the Chelsea box, just a minute or two after nothing was even checked for Harry Maguire putting Cesar Azpilicueta in a chokehold from a corner. Thoughts? <laughs> I mean, Sean, what did you make, I suppose, from the from the unbiased point of view? It's, a, it's just a bit daft, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. There's, decisions are getting a lot of chat this year, and like we said, it's getting a bit boring, but when you look at stuff like that, you're just like, like what is going on here? Mm. What are people looking at? So... Aye, um, strange one. Strange one. Strange. How, how did you did you feel? Did you feel the Rashford one was a penalty? I didn't think the Rashford one was, but I think if if what Maguire did to Azpilicueta is a penalty, then what Azpilicueta did to Scott McTominay in the first half probably is as well. And then there was a similar one with Reese James and Harry Maguire. I think it's just, I think it's just contact, and I think it's one of them where if you give that one, you have to give every single time. There's because it's it's a contact sport at the end of the day, and I think. I think that one just got a lot more of the attention, but as, as Sean said, every, every single decision this season that looks as if it's being analysed, t- taken down to the, the smallest minute mm. detail, I think it's just just get on with it. I think's the the only thing with this one. But what I think is really interesting is that is that Frank Lampard hadn't had a a nil at Chelsea until midweek against Sevilla, and then there's another one straight after. That's crazy, isn't it? That over his whole tenure there hadn't been a single nil nil. And then you get two back to back. It probably shows that he's been getting massively criticised for his team's defensive performances, and there's been a lot of work done to try and sort mm-hmm. that out, which was definitely necessary. There was it's that just sort just, of finding the balance now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There was that kind of pragmatic side, that pragmatic side to Lampard that we've not seen before. I came to that of Jose Mourinho or Jose Mourinho, sorry, 
I always have. <laughs> Prime's told me. Prime's told me how to say that correctly. That pragmatic side to Chelsea that uh, Jose Mourinho installed, and I think a lot of people ask questions about Thiago Silva when he came in for a free because he, he's old, but he's proven that. Well, put it. Put, I'll put it this way: him and Mendy starting together, they've not conceded a goal when they've played together at Chelsea so far in the it's either three or four matches that they've had where they've both played. So the fact that's already an upgrade, and it was. All the, every just about every shot that Mendy faced and Mendy made a good save. Jeremy Floyd Hasselbank made the point, if that's Kepa, that's going in. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, Jeremy, I agree with you on that. That's absolutely correct. So if there's one thing I would take away from that game, it's the fact that Chelsea might actually have a bit more defensive solidity than first thought, but it would appear that that's only the case when Silva and Mendy play, which is a bit of a problem. I was still more at I was just going to I think the only thing I really learned from a United point of view is that Luke Shaw doesn't know how to go forward. Have you seen that clip of Bruno Fernandes when he's sitting on the left wing? Yes. He's signalling on his, on his left to get Luke Shaw to overlap and Shaw's yeah, just sitting. No, Shaw, Shaw did the right thing defensively for that though. Because if they lost the ball, Kante was kind of on the outside of Fernandes and I think it was Reese James or someone that was on the inside and then Shaw was, uh, Shaw was meant to go the overlap to cut out the Reese James. But if he did and then lost the ball, Kante's got a free line. I think Shaw should be a centre-half. So I think, I think Shaw holding back to cut off a, an angle if, they, if United lost the ball was the right thing to do. And I think, I, I think he's a much yeah. better defender. Seeing a back three mm-hmm. when yeah. he's kind of I think he might as well be a centre-half, I really do. I, I, do, I did want to make the point about that because I thought he was getting a lot of criticism for that point there just because of how well Bruno Fernandes has been playing. And I, I just don't think it was a bit unwarranted for me. I, th- I thought he did the right thing defensively anyway I think it's almost just the accumulation of there's now this just sort of feeling that Shaw like he doesn't know how to go forward and I think it's it's almost just one of them it's the same with like you know you see Maguire defensively on Twitter even when the clip's not that bad it's like oh he's he's done it again type situation it's herd mentality and it's just like yeah. current form just builds into making a bigger deal out of a player's current form than actually is but Sean what were you going to say there actually um, I'm just stealing more analysis from the Totally Football Show because we are just a knock-off <laughs> athletic. Um, but Matt Davis-Adams was on this morning's edition, uh, who's a uh, Chelsea TV commentator, and he was saying that it was a very noticeable change this weekend that the back four were sp- and Mendy were speaking French. You've got Silva, who's obviously spent a lot of time in Paris, as well as uh, had a spell at Marseille, Kurt Zuma's there, and obviously Mendy. Um, and he thought that made a lot of... About a massive difference to the organisation of that Chelsea team. Thiago Silva was dictating it, but when your English isn't fantastic, can you really organise a defence? So there's been a a noticeable switch to speaking French in a defensive situation, Mm -hmm. and it seems to seems to have worked. I mean, I don't know. Ben Chilwell must be lost. Ben Chilwell just smiling, nodding. Zuman and have a decent, have a very good graph of English anyway, so they'd be able to communicate everything. And and I have seen that. Maybe the language isn't there, but there is a, an un- unspoken communication. I think Chilwell's just slotted in and got, getting on with everyone in that squad. There seems to be a real sense of just kind of togetherness with the defence anyway. Because everybody just shouting, shouting at him, calling him Chilly. So he's, he's settled in settled in nicely, which is nice to see. They're a good player. Uh, from two club legend managers mentioned, we might as well talk about a third uh, spawning off the back of a... Yes, Steve off the back of a conversation we potentially had a start to in the group chat last night. Uh, Mikel Arteta's Arsenal hosted uh, Leicester at the Emirates last night with Jamie Vardy coming off the bench to score the only goal of the game. 
Graham asked us on our group chat when we'd want to have the Is Arteta Good conversation. And we're going to have it now. Uh, Sean, what do you think? How has Arteta done with Arsenal so far? And why is this now getting called up for a conversation? I think it's a bit premature, personally. Um, that's the third defeat of the season. Um, and that's come again, they're coming against Liverpool, Manchester City and Leicester. Mm. No real shame in that. Um, he won an FA Cup last season. He's building the foundations of a young, exciting team from... Um, I didn't watch the game yesterday because I'm not paying £14.95. Um, but... Um, from all accounts, it was it lacked creativity, it lacked a spark, and that's a problem that happened in the sort of latter Wenger days. That he just sort of they had lots of the ball, they had lots of nice players, but it just wasn't very um, often like that cutting edge. So I think Arteta just needs a bit of time. I still think he's doing a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Um, some good signings in the summer that we just need time to to bed in. So I'm not concerned about Mikel Arteta. Stuart, what about you? You followed that conversation up, that initial question with another one of your own, is which manager out of the three that we've mentioned uh, in the last two sections is doing the best at the moment? You never never gave an answer yourself, so I'll turn the question back on you right now. Who's currently doing the best out of Arteta, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Frank Lampard? It's it's Mikel Arteta for me. I think taking in the quality of squad he's inherited, the money that's been spent, I think Arsenal in a much worse position than both the United and Chelsea were as well. And I think he's improved them massively. He's won a trophy and a community shield, if that counts as a trophy. And I think he's, he's just improved the way they've played. He's been able to solve defensive deficiencies by changing up the style and formation. And I think he has made some good signings as well. I think I think my main concern would just be the over-reliance on Aubameyang and that he hasn't started the season that well. And the, the same, I think Arsenal have scored eight goals within six games, which, you know, is it's not actually that bad. But I think for a team like Arsenal, you'd, you'd mm-hmm. want to be scoring a lot more. But... I think I think defensively they've improved massively. Gabriel's been an excellent signing. I think Thomas Partey will help in the midfield as well. And I think I think from there I think they will definitely improve. But I think it is too early to start talking about Mikel Arteta to be sacked or whatever. Especially when oh, you yeah, look definitely. at the starts that, that Manchester City have had under Pep Guardiola. And I know he's he's been there and done that at Manchester City, but technically Arteta did as well. It's part yeah. of that. But yeah, I, I think Arteta is doing a really good job. No, I think he is as well. I think he's done the best he possibly can with what he has available to him and it's probably exceeded a lot of expectations especially with kind of what was said before him with another former club player coming in as a manager and you had the kind of likes of Lampard and Solskjaer to go off of I think Arteta's kind of breaking that mould of being a, being a bit underwhelming as a manager I think he's come and got things very right a lot of the time so I think he does deserve a fair bit of credit but he just seems a, more than just sorry. a club legend as if the other two I think almost in that sense he, he seems like more of a manager to me than the other two mm-hmm. just from a tactical point of view yeah mm-hmm. well I mean he trained under Guardiola for however many years so I mean you would yeah. have that experience coming in I'm sure Lampard would love to have had that before he started at Chelsea uh, and it just is interesting to see just from that game again the unpredictability of this season and the fact that Leicester with a number of key players not in the squad we said just uh, the squad was announced it was a very average looking Leicester side uh, but again it's just Leicester in a big game they always seem to pull it out and Brendan Rodgers lives to fight another day uh, we now come to last ditch challenge which sees our panel wrap up everything else we might have missed over this week And but what we're going to do we're going to look ahead to a couple of the biggest Champions League fixtures and then discuss 
quickly uh, Celtic and Rangers in the Europa League. Uh, we've got the first clash of the Titans this week as Ronaldo's Juventus host Messi's Barcelona in Turin. Uh, Barcelona beat Finnick Varos last week but lost in the El Clasico over the weekend while Juventus beat Dynamo Kiev 2-0 but could only get a point at home to Hayas Verona on uh, Saturday, I believe it was. Uh, Sean, how excited are you to see these two absolute titans of football come together once again? If Ronaldo's there, his mm, positive yeah, COVID test is. seems to have thrown a lot of doubt over that. So um, it's just, I'm glad it's a, a Champions League group game because hopefully we've got another bite of the cherry uh, mm-hmm. before the end of the year to see them again. Um, but I'm excited for it because they're both teams with new managers. Barcelona have been a bit hit and miss under Ron Koeman so far. And actually, I've watched a fair bit of Juventus this year and I wanted to write um, like a, a thing on energy sport, what is... Pirlo's Juve and I can't answer the question so I'm going to struggle <laughs> with that article because it's different every time I watch them different formations, different personnel um, sometimes different philosophies they seem to be a lot more gung-ho in certain situations than us so um, an interesting one despite the fact that you might not get that Ronaldo Messi narrative mm-hmm. because um, there's a lot of other things to look at in these, these two sort of teams very much in transition Yeah, no, absolutely I'm just hopeful that, it's get, that you'll be available because I think he, he'd probably try and push through himself. He, he, he'd he be doing reps in the gym to get rid of the COVID because that's all he seems to want to do. Getting baldies as well. Getting baldies. He took inspiration from Garvey for that one. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> uh, Struan, uh, just on United, they won late away at PSG last week. Do you think it'll be a similar result at home to Nagelsmann's RB Leipzig on Wednesday night? Do you know I have honestly no idea. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's just so hard to predict Man United at the moment under Solskjaer. Yeah, right. the, the consistency just isn't there. I think Leipzig are a really good side, though. We saw that last season, even after they lost Werner, they were still able to go a wee bit in the Champions League. And yeah, I think I think they're a really interesting tactical battle because I think, I think from that point of view, I think Nagelsmann will wipe the floor with Solskjaer, but I think it's just how the players turn up on the day, to be fair. Mm. Uh, on Thursday night, both old firm teams are in action in the Europa League. Rangers playing at home to like Poznan, while Celtic are away to Lille. Rangers won their last game against Galatasaray, but Celtic lost at home to AC Milan. How do we see this week going for both Scottish clubs in Europe? Uh, Rangers victory, Celtic defeat. Uh, plain and simple. I think, good I enough. Think, yeah. I think Rangers are so good in Europe under Gerrard, and I think Celtic are so bad in Europe under Lennon, except from a, a double over Lazio last season. That was, that was just Olivier and Cham just sealing his name for both games, to be honest. Uh, no, I think I, I do agree. I think Rangers will get Poznan fair, fairly wrapped up. Celtic. That's where the leave. easiest fixture they'll have in this entire yeah. home mm-hmm. to Poznan. It's probably the easiest one they'll have. I think they'll rest yeah. players for the killer game at the weekend. Maybe I. I depends. Be you've got so many options in there. You've got so many yeah. options, especially like the striker. Like this, the full player game. Etten's been decent. You could have Defoe, Etten, and Roof on the bench and play Morales, which is just mental. <laughs> just the depth and quality in there as well. That no, Rangers bench is, is better than it's been for years and years and years. Balogun's been on the bench recently. Mm. Bass looks a genuine alternative to Bonabaracic. You've got so many midfield options. Even Jack's been just, on the bench. Yeah, I thought Ryan Jack's been on the bench, yeah. Joe Even just Alan McGregor was on the bench at times. And that's, that's the key thing. <laughs> it's aye. Um, Celtic. I just, Lille. Uh, Lille are second in Liga just now. And then... The fact that they've got into uh, the season was cut short, so you don't know if they maybe would have been there at the end. But they're obviously a, pr- a pretty decent side, and I just think that Celtic will need to offer a lot more than they have in recent weeks to have yeah. any chance in that one. 
absolutely agree with you there. Uh, I'd imagine extra time we'll be looking into these two games a bit more deeply on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So make sure to stay tuned and keep your eyes on podcast feeds for that. But that is all from us this week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Football Roundup. A bit of a calamitous one in the start, but I think we pulled it together in the end quite nicely. <laughs> uh, be sure to subscribe to Energy Sports Podcast Feed wherever you get yours to keep up to date. And follow us over on Twitter to make sure you get all of our sports content directly to your timeline. Thank you very much to Struan and Sean for joining me today. Make sure to check out Extra Time and the Fancy Ramble later in the week. Uh, But until then, I've been Jack Donnelly. This has been the Football Roundup. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.